Once upon a time. I don't know if there are happier words to my ears, or uh, my kids' ears, than once upon a time. While I know we're just getting started in our mini-series on virtue, and I'm really thrilled to introduce you to nine of my favorite philosophers in the next three episodes, but I know entering the wardrobe and getting your bearings in the classical world can feel overwhelming, unattainable, and maybe even boring. It's okay. As long as you hear me when I say it is most certainly not those things. And I hope today's episode shows you how those beautiful high ideals and ideas work themselves out in the commonplace moments of life. Like on the Tuesday afternoon last summer when I made up this story as my kids sprawled out on the floor after too much sun, and one in particular held a wooden sword. This episode is actually a common house resource that came about after I made a comment that I was teaching one of my children to battle the dragon, or, you know, fight sin, with an actual wooden sword. It was not a toy, and as you'll hear in a few minutes, it was an attempt to help make the invisible thing visible. Fighting internally became fighting externally. It was a little atmosphere, a little discipline, and a little life all wrapped up in one. And this sparked a lot of questions, and in answering those, I realized how much I depend on story in my parenting toolbox. Now, you should know, I'm the type of adult that when asked by a child if dragons are real, I will ask, well, what do you think? I never give a straight answer. I also wink when walking away. I like for children to breathe the air of the sacramental life, by which I mean an awareness, having that awareness of the deeper reality that is around us that we can't see. The battle, the love story, the hope, the glory. Because dragons may not technically be flying over London, and no schoolboy hopes they do, as Lewis said, but dragons are certainly real. They're realer than real, and I think it's best children know this. And, as Chesterton said, that they know there's a St. George to defeat them. But back to virtue. I promise this actually relates to virtue. Teaching virtue is not done in an ethics class or through didactic moral instruction. It's much more like tending a garden in the heart, and as Mason would say, it's taught through atmosphere, habits, and ideas in your home. So while we work through the coming nine philosophers, you'll find that all insist on the importance of meaningful actions, imagination, beauty, and story. Remember, they span 2,423 years, and yet they all agreed on this. And I want to show you what it looks like to live that out in your home. So sure, consider joining us in Common House to learn more about these ideas. I am trying to show you what happens in there, but mainly today, Grab your kids and invite them to listen to the second half as I tell the tale of a fair maiden named Bren and a young knight named Broen, who, like all of us, must learn that the dragon Folly is a fearsome dragon and must always be defeated in the name of the king who is the lover of mankind and the light of light. The Commonplace is a podcast for the new homeschooling mom delighted by the ideals and principles of a classical Charlotte Mason education, but who feels unsure of how to get started on the practical side of nourishing a soul on the good, the true, and the beautiful. I hope you find camaraderie here as we get our bearings in the world of old ideas and old books, of wisdom and virtue, and of the means of grace by which God works in this world through the Commonplaces, which includes your home. So, if you're like me, trying to offer your children an education unlike your own, 
and wondering if you can create an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life of such richness? I'm here to tell you, I think you can. I'm your host, Autumn Kern, and I'm pleased to welcome you to The Commonplace. I never approach anything in my home from only one angle. Bad attitude in a kid? You need a family rule, sure, but you'll need habit tracks and good books and one-on-one time and a decent outside run and a story. There's been some chatter within Patreon lately about teaching one of my kids to fight the dragon, or you know, kill sin, with an actual wooden sword. This parenting idea came about because of who this child is, so with that and everything else I'm about to say, remember, my kids are different than your kids, as is my home and my husband and even me. I share to be helpful, not prescriptive. But... With this child, I knew they needed help understanding the internal battle of killing sin. It was too imaginary, too difficult to catch on to, so I thought, why not make the invisible visible? And so began the sword. Basically, I told my child that when they heard the voice of the dragon tempting them far from the king's path, they needed to grab their literal sword, stab the air, and yell, I will obey. Now, already you can see that I was pulling together many of our home rhythms. If you've been around for a bit, you know that our family uses language about dragons, a king, the path, and the battle in our play, our discipline, our instruction, and our stories. I was connecting our family rules and expectations with the truth of the story of scripture and with the duty this child has to learn to fight the dragon and to obey. And I have to say, this idea, it worked pretty well. It gave my child the chance to practice visibly what they needed to learn to do invisibly. But again, this isn't the only angle I took. It never is. So here's my mini-sode for this month. What can you add to your parenting instruments that help pull all the things together? It's story. You see, I have three very different children, and yet no matter the ideas I pull together from our atmosphere, discipline, and life in our home, whether it be the language, the rules, the instruction, the play, or the liturgies, I always bring in story. One angle isn't enough. I'll just keep saying that today. It's like working out one set of muscles. You can't just tell a child rules even if you've poured a lot of heart and time into family rules. You can't just habit train on the nature trail or just have morning time or just anything. Your child is an image bearer, a living icon of Christ, and has many parts to his whole. And God shows us how to teach a person when we look at the Bible. He has rules and poetry and prose and parable and epistle and story. A whole lot of story. And since I've already taken you along with me on this battling the dragon with a sword idea, I thought I'd tell you a story that I told my children the other day when I had the option of telling them what was good or showing them what was good. Remember, nobody likes a rule, but everybody loves a story. So, I'm not a writer. A literary pro would probably poke 42 holes in the tail, but that is okay. I'm just a mom sitting on the couch with her rascals on a Tuesday afternoon, trying to think of a way to show the path of folly and the path of wisdom. Now that they've heard a few versions of this story, I can say that I hear in their sibling discussions encouragement to listen to the voice of Lady Wisdom and to tell folly to be quiet on the regular. Stories will save the world, I think. So let's bring them into our homes, our minds, our imaginations, and our hearts. This is how I do it. Once upon a time, in a land far, far away, across the shining blue seas and the emerald green lands, there was a kingdom of a great and mighty king 
known as man's soul. The kingdom sat upon a hill and was full of light. Its people were happy to live under the care of the king, and our story tells of two of these people. The first, a young maiden with heart full of birdsong and eyes like the sea, named Bren. She was the king's violinist. The second, a young knight full of courage and eyes like the forest, he was named Broen, and he was the king's defender. Together, Bren and Broen were the keepers of truth, goodness, and beauty, riding on their set paths around the kingdom of Mansoul every day with music and courage. One day, as Broen rode his horse around the southern part of the kingdom, he came upon a young maiden sitting on the water's edge a few yards away from his path. She called to him, Broen, my how you work all day for that king. Aren't you tired of always riding your horse around and around and around his kingdom? Wouldn't you enjoy taking a break and joining me by the water? Broen stared at the maiden. He said, I'm sorry, my lady, but I must be off on my rounds. And he rode off, but he took her words with him. The next day, Broen turned into the southern part of the kingdom and looked out to see if the maiden was on the side of the path. As he saw her, he remembered her questions about his path around the kingdom and her offer to enjoy a break with her. Broen was proud of his work for the king. He enjoyed protecting all that was true, good, and beautiful, and he was fond of his king. But he was always told what to do. No one ever asked him what he wanted to do. As he rode past the maiden, she called out again, Broen, once again you are riding around and around a kingdom that needs no protecting. What bad ever happens in man's soul? When is the light not bright? Surely it wouldn't be any trouble for you to take a few moments to do what you want to do today. Broen sat upon his horse, looking forward at his path, thinking about his king's orders. Bren was on the opposite side of the kingdom by this time of day, playing her violin, keeping beauty and goodness before, around, and in man's soul. And if she was doing that, then surely he could take a few minutes for himself. No, my lady, I cannot, and he rode off quickly. But as he walked into the castle, he didn't see the beauty and order that had so often brought him joy and refreshment. He thought it felt stuffy and constricting. He realized no one ever did what they wanted, only what the king commanded. It isn't fair, thought Broen. What if I don't want to ride around the kingdom of man's soul every day? What if I don't want to do what the king says? And in that moment, Broen's heart grew a little cold. The next morning, Bren awoke to the bird song and felt warmth and joy in the coming day. She dressed herself and was tuning her violin when Broen burst through the door. I'm not riding my rounds today, he said. What do you mean? asked Bren. I'm going to do what I want to do, Broen said. And you should do what you want to do today, too. Why does the king make us ride in circles all day? What's the point of that? Bren looked at him thoughtfully and said, Broen. The king is only ever good, and he only ever intends joy for us. If he gives us the work of riding around man's soul, well, it's for a reason. And in doing his work, we are happy. Well, I'm not, said Broen as he stormed out of her room. His heart grew a little colder. Bren mounted her horse and took off towards the northern loop of the king's path, while Broen, leaving his sword behind, took off through the fields towards the place where the maiden would be waiting. The maiden stood to meet him. Oh, Broen, what a wonderful treat this is! Are you really here to enjoy the sun, the song, and the waters with me? We'll have such a happy time, just think of it! Doing whatever we want, whenever we want. Here, do, come, sit, and let us feast. Broen took a step off the king's path, and his heart grew colder. He sat and ate and drank with the maiden and felt free and light. But on the other side of man's soul, 
Bren took note of the changing winds. She looked towards the west and saw dark clouds approaching man's soul. This had never happened in her lifetime, and it confused her. The kingdom of man's soul set in the earnest light of the east, where the dawn was clear and bright, but this, this darkening front moved closer and closer towards man's soul. Bren began to play her violin, hoping to call forth beauty, to bring light, but the darkness grew larger and wider, and Bren knew something was very wrong. She took off on the king's path back to man's soul as quickly as she could. On the southern side of the kingdom, Broen was struggling to stay awake. The maiden was speaking, but he could no longer hear her. His eyes felt heavy, and his body felt as if all the warmth of the king's love was gone. He was cold, and his heart seemed to slow with each passing moment. And then, Broen's eyes closed, and he fell into a deep sleep. Bryn ran into the castle as the dark gloom settled on man's soul. She knew there was only one person to run to, one person to whom she could appeal for help. She burst through the door of the room of Lady Wisdom and cried out, Lady Wisdom, you must help us. I'm not certain what has happened, but I know Broen has left the king's path today, and now we are surrounded by darkness in man's soul. I'm worried for him. What do we do? Lady Wisdom quickly rose, grabbing her sword and cloak, and said to Bren, We must hurry. Broen's heart grows colder every moment he remains off the king's path. Do you know where he is? His loop begins on the southern side. Perhaps we look there, replied Bren. The two took off on their horses to the southern loop and found, lying asleep on a blanket, just off the king's path, Broen. Bren began to run to him before Lady Wisdom stopped her. Wait, Bren, something is not right. Look at the food on the blanket around him. Look at his drink. Bren looked down on the blanket and saw hundreds of maggots on the food and a weird black liquid dripping out of the cup. This is not right. This food and this drink are not real, said Lady Wisdom. But before she could finish her thought, she was interrupted by a stranger. The maiden who had called to Broen day after day stepped out from behind a tree. She smiled a slow, cruel smile and fixed her eyes on Lady Wisdom. As Bren stood frightened, a strange thing began to happen. The darkness surrounding man's soul began to thunder and lightning, and a fierce wind whipped through the land and around the strange maiden. Slowly, Right before their eyes, the maiden's arms began to grow, and her feet pushed out of her shoes with claws. Her clothes began to tear as scales covered her growing body, until right before their eyes stood a terrifying dragon. Folly, whispered Lady Wisdom. Hurry, Bren, we must get to Broen before Folly overtakes him completely. The ladies ran to Broen, and as Lady Wisdom stood before him, blocking the dragon Folly, Bren knelt down and began to put courage before him with her song. O king of man's soul who art perfect, never abandon me, thy servant, for the sake of thy great loving kindness, but ever abide in me. O king of thy servants, do not deliver me over to the dragon folly, neither abandon me to evil. O king who art adored, keep me by thy unwavering light. As she sang these words, a warmth began to grow in Broman's heart. Lady Wisdom called out, Bren, you must play for him. Remind him of beauty. He will recognize its truth and goodness even in his sleep. His heart is not too cold for the king. Broen's loyalty is still here. You must remind him. I can hold back folly, but as Broen left the king's path, Broen must be the one to fight her. Bryn ran to her horse and grabbed her violin, playing a sweet melody they knew from their early days. The dragon folly breathed her furious, fiery breath towards Lady Wisdom, who continued to protect Broen as he came out of his deep sleep. At last, his eyes opened with a start. He gasped for air, and he felt the warmth of the king's love stretch from his heart into the ends of his body. When he caught sight of the dragon folly, he knew what had happened. He felt a deep pain for abandoning the king's path for his own plans. 
He knew he had traded love for a lie. Lady Wisdom called to him. Rowan, I've brought you my sword, given to me by the king. Grab it and prepare to fight. Rowan scrambled to his feet, grabbing the sword and looking directly at the dragon folly. He felt her hot breath, but stared her down directly. She hissed at him. Oh, Rowan, don't tell me you want to go back to the king now. Don't you like doing what you want? Isn't this what you wanted? Rowan readied himself, whispering half courage, and took off towards the dragon folly, shouting, For the king! and struck her in the heart with the sword of Lady Wisdom. The dragon fell, sputtered for breath, and then vanished as her body hit the ground. Rowan looked back at his beloved Mansoul and watched as the dark clouds began to roll away. Slowly, the light began to fill the kingdom, just as the warmth had begun to fill him. Lady Wisdom, Bryn, and Rowan each mounted their horse. Lady Wisdom took off for the castle, while Bryn headed to the king's path on the northern side of Mansoul. Rowan looked at where he had met the dragon folly, and then to the path of the king before him, and knew that he must never leave the path again. And tis said still to this day that the dragon folly calls to all the maidens and knights of the king, beckoning them to come and do as they please without worry of the king's commands. From those who carry their swords and their song of the king in their hearts, folly flees. But for those who for but a moment consider her words, like our dear Broen, find that folly is a fearsome dragon and must always be defeated in the name of the king, who is the lover of mankind and the light of light. The end.